0: Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Orion Carr. Um, The message today is entitled A Hard Reality. Um, A Hard Reality. And um, I just invite you to bow your heads with me as we pray.
1: Our Father in heaven, Lord, I just want to thank you so much for
0: giving us the light of your word. Thank you for enabling us to understand your word through your Holy Spirit. And Father, I just want to pray that as we open your word, You may even, you may teach every single one of us wondrous things out of thy law. Father, and we recognize because we have to ask you that that we are so weak and feeble to even understand your word without your spirit. And so, Father, take our lives and let them be consecrated to you, and speak to our hearts, speak to my heart, Lord, and may heaven be uplifted, and may Christ be uplifted here today. So I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to begin. The first thing I always ask before I start is, make, uh, please, if you don't have a Bible, please get a Bible, because the last thing you want to be doing is reflecting the words of a man. Amen? Amen? You don't want to reflect the thoughts of another man. You don't want to be going away reflecting what another person says. Because we're told in the book, Gospel Workers, page 127. Gospel Workers, page 127 says, The spirit in which we come to the investigation of the scriptures will determine the character of the assistant at your side. It says, Angels from the world of light will be with those who in humility of heart seek for divine guidance. But it says, but if the Bible is open with a reverence, with a spirit of self-sufficiency, if the heart is filled with prejudice, Satan is beside you, and he will set the plain statement of God's word in a perverted light. Do you know how deep that is? You could actually sit down, read the Bible, and just because you enter upon it, or I enter upon Bible study, with a heart filled with pride, because I might know so much. With well, the heart feeling that I don't need to learn from anybody else, or I don't even need to learn from Jesus, I know that verse now. Satan can literally sit beside you and instruct you and pervert that very verse. And so this is why God is so good to give us His Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. Amen? Amen. We're going to begin in the book of Ezekiel chapter 28. Ezekiel chapter 28, the, the, the topic that we're dealing with today is a topic that is an experience that I believe that God has really been showing me. And it's not something that I'm trying to give some intellectual sermon or some intellectual discourse or some wonderful thing. And brothers and sisters, the goal of giving messages is not just to wow the crowd. Did you guys catch what I said? The goal of having messages is not for, a, for people to come and just to get wowed and oohed and awed. Because we've been wowing, oohing, and awing for th- hundreds of years and Christ still was not here. But the real message is Christ is trying to bring us, as Jeremiah 6 says, to those old paths, to the old truths, to the simple truths that we know and yet fail various very, many, many times in our experience to exercise and to live. Amen? So Ezekiel chapter 28, we're going to deal with this topic of a hard reality. What happened in the great controversy from the beginning that brought, brings a hard reality to 2013 and to planet Earth today? Ezekiel chapter 28, are we there? Ezekiel chapter 28, by the way, I've got the bookmark, amen? Ezekiel 28, verse, we're going to begin at verse 12. Are we there? The Bible says, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyre, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Now, I want us to go to verse 14. It says, Thou art the what? The anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so, thou wast upon the holy mountain of God, thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. So this covering cherub, who are we speaking of here? Satan, right? Now, it says in verse 15, listen very, very carefully, because there's something about the way God presents Lucifer before his fall. It says in verse 15, Thou was perfect, how? In your ways. Does it say you were perfect in yourself? No. It says you were perfect in your ways. From the day you were created to what? Iniquity was perfect found in you. So now we see that Lucifer, this covering cherub, he was not just perfect in himself, he was perfect in his ways. Go to the book of Exodus chapter 28. In Exodus 28, God gives a, a, clearer, a clearer description of the function or what a covering cherub did. Now, in order to understand the covering cherub, we need to go to what service? The... Seventh-day Adventist, come on. The sanctuary, amen. And where do we find a covering cherub? In the, in the sanctuary. In the most holy place, amen. Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25, actually. Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25. Now let's have a look at the role of the covering cherub because when we understand what happened in heaven and what happened in Eden and how this great controversy has been transpiring from times past even to times present, then we can understand how can we deal with this rebellion and this lie and the lies that Satan is bringing here to planet Earth. Exodus 25, we're there. The Bible says, beginning at verse 18, And thou shalt make two what? Cherubims of gold, of beaten work, shalt thou make them in the two ends of the mercy seat. Verse 19, make one cherub on on one end, and the other cherub on the other end, even of the mercy seat shall you make the cherubim on the two ends thereof. Verse 20, what does it say? And the cherubim shall stretch forth their wings on high, doing what? Covering the mercy seat with their wings and their faces shall look one to another toward the what? Mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. So are these covering cherubs on the ark? Amen. Now where were their faces headed towards? Each other and the mercy seat. Amen. Now read verse 21. What was underneath the mercy seat that the covering cherubs were looking towards. Verse 21 says, And thou shalt put the mercy seat above, upon the ark, and in the ark, so this is inside the ark, amen? This is beneath the mercy seat. You shall put the testimony that I shall give thee. Now what was this testimony that was found underneath the mercy seat in the ark? The commandments, amen? So here we have the function of a covering cherub was not only to cover the ark, to look toward each other and the mercy seat, but to look that, to that which was under the mercy seat, which was the commandments. And the Bible makes it clear that that word in the Hebrew, cover, means to defend or to protect. So now we see that Lucifer as a covering cherub who was full of wisdom and perfect in beauty and his ways was someone who was a protector of God's law. Does that make sense? Because the covering cherub was a type found in the sanctuary. And Lucifer being a covering cherub was this covering cherub who defended God's law. Now the, now this is the next question. Lucifer, what was he desiring in his rebellion? Go to the book of Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. There's some, now Lucifer is a covering cherub. He, he was someone who was a protector of God's law. But something happened that caused Lucifer to deviate away from God's law, to cause war in heaven, and to be cast out of heaven. Does that make sense? Now, Isaiah chapter 14, we're there. Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14, we're going to be having a look at verses 12 and um, 12 down to verse 14. This is very important because when we read Ezekiel, Lucifer was not perfect in himself. He was perfect How? In his ways, but he was someone who dwelt in the very presence of the Shekinah, or God's immediate presence, where God's law was. So his ways were to be directed by God's law. Because the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 6, does does anybody know what the word Lucifer means? Light bearer, lux veros, light bearer. The Bible says in Proverbs 6, 23, for the commandment is a lamp, the law is light And reproofs or instruction are the way of life. So God makes it clear that the law is called light, Lucifer being the light bearer, was someone who would even be a person who walks in God's law because he's bearing the light. He was not that light, but he was bearing the light. It makes sense, right? Because he dwelt in God's presence and he was a protector of that very law and a defender of the law. But what happened, Isaiah chapter 14, are we there? The Bible says, beginning at verse 12, read it with me. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou, what? Cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations. Verse 13, for thou hast said, where? In thine heart or mind, I will ascend into, where? Heaven. I will, what? Exalt my throne above the? Styles of God, I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. Verse 14, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be what? Like the most high. Lucifer said, I will exalt my what? My throne, right? Lucifer's got an eye problem, right? He's got an eye problem, literally. Lucifer has an eye problem, right? Because all he's saying is, I, 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 I. And so now we see Lucifer's focus was lost from God, who is the I am, and went to himself. Because remember, the Bible says he was perfect how? In his ways, but his ways were of God. That's why he was perfect. Not because of himself, but then he lost focus of the very person keeping him in line, which was God. And he walks and starts deviating. Now there's no law to keep him in the light because he's the light bearer. And Proverbs 6.23 says the law is light. So what's Lucifer doing now? He's walking away from the light. But we saw that he's only perfect in his ways. So when he leaves the light, will he be perfect in his ways? No. He lost focus because the, the reason why this is important is because in the day we're living in, We're living in a world where people literally say, I do not need Jesus to tell me what to do. I don't need a law of light to direct my life. I run my own life. Not only within the church, not also outside of Christianity. And Lucifer who brought this light to planet earth from heaven is coming around on planet earth, causing people to think, I do not need Jesus. I don't need Jesus to tell me what's right. I don't need a savior to tell me what's wrong. But what does Jeremiah say in Jeremiah 13, 23? Can the Ethiopian do what? Change his skin. Can the leopard change his spots? Then may ye what? Also do good that are accustomed to do evil. God makes it clear. Lucifer has gone gone around from heaven, times past, down to times present, spreading the lie that you can know what's good and do what's good. And God makes it clear. Paul makes it clear. I can do nothing good. There's no good thing in my flesh. And Lucifer has this problem. He's put this lie in planet Earth today where people think, I don't need Jesus. But what did the Bible say? The law is light. And Lucifer rebelled against that light. Now someone go, to the book of Psalms, chapter 97. In the book of Psalms, chapter 97, God gives a, a description of the throne. God gives a description of what establishes, what is the foundation of His throne. God gives the answer there. Psalms, chapter 97, verse 2. Psalms, chapter 97, verse 2. Are we there? The Bible says, Clouds and darkness are what? Round about Him, and righteousness and Judgment are the what? Habitation or establishment or the foundation of His throne. So what was the foundation or the habitation of God's throne from this verse? Righteousness and judgment. The Bible says in Psalms 119, 172, all, It goes, my tongue shall speak of thy word, for all thy commandments are righteousness. So the very throne of God was established, or the habitation of it was righteousness, yea, his law. And so when Lucifer comes along on the scene, him being perfect only because him who is perfect, Jesus Christ, was directing him, he steps out of the light and says, I don't need your law, I will walk in my own way. I will take over, matter of fact, I'll take over your throne. He's saying, I don't need your throne, God, I've got a better way to live. Why? Why? Look at me. Look at me. I'm perfect, right? I'm perfect in myself. Perfect in his ways. And so this is the deception that began in heaven. And this is the deception that is coming down to planet earth. Why do I say that? Because when Lucifer dwelt in the very presence of God, he had a standard of measure. He had a standard right next to him in his presence that he could measure his ways by. But what happened when he removed himself from God's throne and tried to rebel against God's throne? Was he therefore next to that standard of measure? No. So now he had nothing to keep his ways in perfection with God. And so now we see that Lucifer lost the, the standard. The standard was God, his law. But Lucifer, removing himself from the standard, therefore removed the thing that caused him to be kept in harmony with the law. And so now he removes himself and he starts comparing himself to angels. Because Lucifer was what? Thou sealest up the sum of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. So Lucifer was this wonderful angel who had natural diamonds and barrels all over him. And so now Lucifer, being this beautiful creature, there's no longer a beautiful law to compare himself to. He starts comparing himself to the angels. Because if the law is in check, it tells him, Lucifer, humble yourself. If the law was there, Lucifer would know. It's only because of Jesus and his law, then I'm kept in check. But he removes the law, and now he's standing and he's looking at himself. Look at me. Look at me. Go back to Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel chapter 28. Are we following so far, brothers and sisters? Ezekiel chapter 28. The message is entitled, A Hard Reality. The reason why I'm starting with this is because this lesson from Lucifer's rebellion can bring us to 2013, help us to understand how Lucifer is trying to implement the same tactic that he implemented in heaven. So the Bible makes it clear. Go back to Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28, brothers and sisters, we are living in a world, a world that knows not Christ. Praise God for my commissions that you know that we're that that's this weekend, amen? amen. Praise God for the work that He's doing. But God calls us to have an individual work. We're not saved in groups, we're not saved because of the faith of those next to us. What happened to those when the sons of Sceva, in Acts chapter 19? What happened to them? We adjure you by whom Paul preaches. But what did what did, what did, what did that demonic what did that demon say to say to them? Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. Who are you? So the reason why this is important is because individually, during this time, there is a work for you and I to do collectively and individually. Because when the devil comes to you individually, when you're not around the church, how will you stand? Except by having the rock under your feet. Now the Bible says in Ezekiel 28, we're there. Ezekiel chapter 28 verse 17, let's, let's confirm this point about how Lucifer lost track of his measuring rod. Twi- uh, verse 17, we're there. Amen. Thine heart was what? Lifted. Lifted up, right? Thine heart was what? Lifted up because of thy what? Beauty. Um, Who made Lucifer? God. Uh, Whose law was he around? God. Why was he even existing? God, right? And here he is, losing sight of the Creator. Now he himself is saying, look at me. And it says, because of thy beauty, you have corrupted your wisdom by reason of thy brightness. So what what did Lucifer corrupt? His wisdom. He was only perfect and full of wisdom when he was perfect in God's ways. As soon as he looked to himself and had no measuring standard, he thought himself as being greater than everybody else. Now, the reason why that's significant is go to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, especially in the times we are living in, the time we live in the times we are living in, this principle of having something to compare ourselves to is significant. You're going to see why. Second Corinthians chapter 10, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and we're going to have a look at verse 12. Lucifer brings, Lucifer's, I want us to hone in on this point. Lucifer began next to the throne of God, next to the Shekinah glory. But he recognized that only by walking in God's perfection, his ways, will he be kept in the light. But then he lost sight of God's standard and started looking to himself. And because he had no standard, he looked to himself and compared himself to those around him. Because he was full of wisdom, perfect in beauty, he was the sum of perfection. So when he looked from himself to the angels, they were down here, he was here. And so and then when he looked at himself, he started, his heart was lifted up. And now God brings this point out clearly. This is why. This this lesson, you're gonna see, we're gonna see why this lesson is significant, especially in 2013. Are we there? 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And we're looking at verse 12. Are we there? Are we there? I want to make sure, guys, just to be clear. That this is, I don't, I'm not, I don't like it just to be Mr. Preacher, Preacher, Preachers, and everybody, you know, just listens, right? It's, 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 it's a study, amen? It's a study. We study to show ourselves a proved unto God, workman that need not be, needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Amen? So the Bible says in Second Corinthians 10, 12, we're there. The Bible says, for we what? We dare not make ourselves of the number. Or compare ourselves with some that what? Commend themselves. But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. Brothers and sisters, do we catch the transition from Lucifer in heaven down to Lucifer, causing the minds of men, even Christians, to deviate from God's law? Because the reason why is that we have people that look to themselves and they look to Christians next to them and they say, I'm not as bad as that guy. I don't do that. I don't go here. I don't do this. I don't do that. I don't do this. Measuring themselves by themselves. And Jesus says, you are not wise. And this is so important because that deception is satanic right from the pit of hell. The fact that we can go around comparing our Christianity to the Christian next to us, comparing our Christianity to someone who might not even know the name of Jesus, and we have the audacity, brothers and sisters, I'll go to take it even so far, comparing ourselves to great evangelists, comparing ourselves, mimicking the way preachers preach, idolatry in the church, looking to people just because they have X, Y, Z degrees behind the name. We are not called to look to any man but to Jesus Christ. What does the Bible say? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Philippians 2.5. And the reason why this is significant is because we're living in a time, go to the book of Revelation chapter 11. In the book of Revelation chapter 11, God gives his people the message that is so critical for this specific time in earth's history. Because brothers and sisters, we're told, In Early Writings, page 63, Early Writings, page 63, it says, There are many precious truths contained in the Word of God. Amen? There are, are there? Amen. Amen. But it is present truth that the flock needs now. Subjects such as the sanctuary, in connection with the 2,300 days, the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus are perfectly calculated to unite the flock to sanctify the flock, to give certainty to the glorious future. This is our message that whatever we preach, we are called as Seventh-day Adventists, to prepare a people to to stand true to Jesus during the judgment. Is that our message? Three angels' messages? Fear God and give glory to Him. Why? For the hour. Why is the reason that God calls us to fear Him and give glory? Because the hour of judgment is come. Now, we go to the book of Revelation chapter 11. What is, it a signif- what is so significant, especially to this church, this movement that God designs us to understand about this message of a hard reality? Revelation chapter 11, are we there? The Bible says, and there was seen in his what? No, and, the ark of, and the temple in heaven was what? Uh, Revelation chapter 11, sorry. Revelation chapter 11, sorry, I might have got the verse wrong. Verse 19, and the temple of God was what? open in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament, and there were what? lightnings and voices, and thunderings and earthquakes, and great hail. So what has been, what seen has been presented in this verse? The temple of what God is open. What day? In the sanctuary service was the temple of God, was was the most holy place where the ark was into it. What day? The day of atonement. So the only day which the most holy place, the door according to Revelation chapter 3 verses 7 and 8, the key that Christ had to open that door which no man shutteth, and to shut that door that no man can open. Jesus brings back to view the very law. Why? Because Lucifer, in the beginning, He lost sight of the very standard of living. And not only about the standard of living, he lost love for Jesus. Because we're told in Galatians chapter 5, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Amen? Amen. The law is a law of love. How How can a spouse be married to a spouse and still break the covenant promise? How can they? That doesn't make sense, right? The only reason they would is because they have lost love for the spouse or they don't have love. It's like forcing someone into a marriage in which they themselves don't want anything to do with it. Could you imagine that? Someone handcuffing your hands? Putting you into a a, a big mansion? Oh no, no, it's a mansion. it's a pool. It's all this. It's okay. Like you've got all the wonderful pleasures but you still don't love them, right? Let's say you got handcuffed with another spouse. Marry each other. You'd be like, yeah, right, man. As if, right? You'd be like, I don't even love them. And so in the same way that God has called His people to keep His commandments through faith and through love, this is why this message of the judgment, the, the temple in heaven opening is so significant because the very, great controversy, the very great controversy we're in and the very reason why that temple has to be open is because the temple itself in heaven, when Christ was in heaven that time and Lucifer rebelled, his whole attack was on God's law and God's character. And so the very end of the great controversy, it just makes sense that God has to restore honor and authority and love in his law. And he's going to do that through a people that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Does that make sense? Amen. Amen. Go to the book of James chapter 2. How are we going for time? Sorry, I, mean, I, I actually looked at that clock in the beginning. I was like, dang, I looked at it and I was like, I haven't even, I haven't even preached at all. But time's still the same, man. So, Does anybody have the time on them? Sorry? Cool, cool, cool. All right, cool. Cool. James chapter 2. James chapter 2. James chapter 2. James chapter 2. And we're going to be having a look at verse 10. Brothers and sisters, the Bible says in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. For we, you are what? For by grace, ye are saved. And not of work, not of yourself, right? Is the gift, is, is not of works, Right? It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says that you're saved by grace, right? Amen? You're saved by grace, but not by works. But brothers and sisters, Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 14 says, For God shall bring every work into judgment, with every secret thing, whether it be good or evil. So brothers and sisters, yes, we are saved by grace. But brothers and sisters, we are judged by our works. You're not saved by your works, but you're definitely judged. Why? Because faith shows in your works. And faith is what gives us hold of grace. And the grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts, to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Titus chapter 2, 11 and 12. And so the Bible is making that clear in James chapter 2, we're there. We saw the temple of God being opened, right? And now we've been drawn to, to, the, to the law. It says here in James chapter 2, verse 10, we let, uh, verse 12. Let's look there. The Bible says in verse 12, so speak ye, James chapter 2, verse 12, so speak ye and so do as they that what? Shall be judged by the law of liberty, the law of bondage. <laughs> it's like saying marriage is bondage, right? Married couples, that's not true, right? When it's done with Christ, right? Amen? I'm not married, I'm just saying because I know the Bible says it. So, Yeah, that's right, man. So, we can speak, man. My authority is not here. It's in the Bible. So the Bible makes it clear, So speak ye and so do, as they that shall be what? Judged by the law of liberty. Brothers and sisters, the reason why this message of a hard reality is important is because if a perfect created being could fall to looking to self, how much more foolish, sinful, selfish humans, to take their lives and to compare it to someone next to them and therefore have their hearts lifted up and think they are something. When we are living in a time where Jesus says, fear him, give glory to him. And yet people, this is why God raised the movement, because the law that was done out broken and, and, and taken a crack at by Lucifer is the same law God is trying to restore through faith and love through the remnant church. This is why God has called this movement to draw draw people's minds to the scene that happened in heaven where Christ as our high priest, we want to talk about Christ on the cross, amen? Amen? That's our message, right? Christ in him, crucified. But that blood that was shed is in its final stages in that most holy place. And so God is making it clear that the same law that was trampled upon, the same measuring standard that Lucifer removed himself from, is the same standard that God himself is trying to bring us back to. Because as Paul says, I had not known lust, except the Lord had said what? Thou shalt not covet. Because when we take time, the brothers and sisters, this is why it is a hard reality, because how many times is it so easy to get up on the pulpit and preach? How easy is it to get up and just to speak wonderful things in front of other people, but how hard is it to sit down and to look at myself and say, Lord, search my heart. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me, not in the person next to me, not in the guy that I see that I'm comparing myself to, but in me, O Ryan, sinner. This is why God is so merciful, because, honest, brothers and sisters, even me being here, brother, I feel worthless to be in here today. I am not worthy. And when God, when God gives messages to me, brothers and sisters, man, this is real, man. Because I, when I look at my life, and Deuteronomy chapter 5 comes to my mind, and I examine myself without Jesus, my life was filth, man. My life, any life, it doesn't matter what we have, what life we've lived, whether we've been from gangs to the ghetto, whether we've been from the business world to the sports world, every single life compared to the life of Jesus is sinful. And Jesus makes it clear. While you were yet sinners, Jesus still died. That's why when I sing songs, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look, full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth grow strangely dim because there's something peculiar that happens in your heart that when you behold Jesus, your eyes have no... You don't want the world. And brothers and sisters, the reason why this is important is because we are living in a time where Christianity at large is turning away from God's law. They're turning away from faith in Jesus Christ. They're turning away from the sanctuary message. And I want us to go to the book of Leviticus chapter 23 as we close. Leviticus chapter 23, Leviticus chapter 23, brothers and sisters, if we've ever asked ourselves what is our work as a people in connection with the third angel's message, Leviticus chapter 23, here we read, there were four peculiar works involved in the day of atonement. How many? Four. Have we followed so far, brothers and sisters? Amen? Leviticus chapter 23. As we close, I want us to just to hone our minds into a specific work that God is calling us to do even myself. A work that requires a hard reality. A work that will cut right at our nature. Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 23, we're there. Reading from verse 27, also on the 10th day of the 7th month, there shall be a what? Day of atonement. It shall be a what? Holy Convocation, ye shall what? Afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire, verse 28, and ye shall do what? No work. There were four works here. And by the way, brothers and sisters, if we've ever wondered personally, practically, what can you and I do during this time, these are some four works that we could be involved with, that we are called to be involved with. Number one, Holy Convocation. Number two, Affliction of Soul. Number three, Offering Made by Fire. And number four, You shall do no work. Go to Ezra chapter eight. As we close, this is a really hard reality that I believe is it cuts right at our nature. Ezra chapter eight, and man, I'm sweating. Does anybody have a towel? Ezra chapter eight. Ezra chapter eight. Ezra chapter eight. God called us to the affliction of one soul. There is much to be said on the topic of affliction of souls. Because, brothers and sisters, if we're living in a time where Jesus, as Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, suddenly came to that temple, and he is examining the characters of the professed Christians, of the professed followers of Jesus, how important would it be to look at myself and say, Lord, show me my wicked ways and lead me in the way everlasting? How important do you think that will be? That is critical. Because if Jesus steps from that place, brothers and sisters, this is why this message is important. Because Christ is called a movement, brothers and sisters, Ezra chapter 8. The Bible says in verse 21, are we there? Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava that we might what? Afflict ourselves. This is one of the works described in Leviticus. Before who? Our God. To seek of Him a right way for us and for our little ones and for all our substance. So what does God compare the affliction of one's soul to? To? Come on, brothers and sisters. It says to afflict ourselves before our God, what? To seek of Him a right way for us, right? So the affliction of Saul makes sense. Why? Because when that temple was open and the ark of his testament was brought to view and God's people from 1844 onwards understood that they have their characters examined. It's not about this is works, this is works. Because Jesus makes it clear that we are to love him and then keep his commandments. Love is shown in obedience. And so God makes it clear that this time we're living in is a hard reality. It's a hard reality. Because how hard? It's so easy to look at myself and then look into the person next to me and have my heart lifted up. Brothers and sisters, I want to read a quote. This is going to blow your mind. Trust me. This quote blew my mind. Trust me, man. It's like a bomb, man. You know, we we, we think about little grenades. This is atom bomb, man. Atom bomb, quote. It says in um, Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, page 79. Brothers and sisters, how? uh, quick question. When we think of people that compare themselves to others, what group of people in the New Testament do we usually think of? Pharisees, right? Does everybody, did everybody hear that? The Pharisees, right? So we usually denote people that compare themselves to others as what? Pharisees, but this quote is going to show us something deeper. Listen very carefully. Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, page 79, paragraph 1. While the Pharisees claimed to be very jealous for the honor of the law, self-glory was the real object, which they sought. And Christ would make it manifest to them that the lover of self is a transgressor of the law. Listen carefully, man. This is deep, man. But the principles cherished by the Pharisees... So who are we talking about? The Pharisees are such as are characteristic of humanity in all ages... So the the characteristics that the Pharisees had of comparing themselves to those around them and therefore being called unwise has been present in all ages. So it's not just the Pharisees, right? So it says, this, this this is killer man, the spirit of Pharisaism is the spirit of human nature. Did you catch that? The spirit of Pharisaism is not just those guys in the, religious, in the religious circles, it's the spirit of human nature. So that tells us, even if I am unconverted, even if I might not consider myself a Pharisee, if I am not converted, and I am not of Christ, and I am still acting in my human nature, I'm a Pharisee. Did you catch that? We might say, I don't compare myself to other people, but if we allow our lives to rule us during this time of judgment, we are Pharisees. The, it makes it clear, if the spirit of human nature is not taken over by Christ and my nature, then what are we? We're Pharisees, right? To me, that was deep, because I said, oh, I don't compare myself, right? I don't compare myself, I'm cool, man. I'm still humbling myself before God. But if Christ in my nature does not become a part of our life by faith, this is where our lives will up as we close. What was the problem with Laodicea? Laodicea. Our final verse. I promise you, our final verse. Revelation chapter 3. I promise you, man. So promise. We're, we're done, man. Revelation chapter 3. I think I'm physically done, man. Revelation chapter 3. This is our, as we finish this up, a hard reality. A hard reality. And brothers and sisters, this is why the Sabbath was so important. Because when you read the Great Controversy, right, what was one of the reasons why the Sabbath was given? It was to ever keep in men's mind the distinction between man as the creation and God as the creator. Therefore, there was a a difference. There was always Christ was lifted up, man was lifted down. Christ was lifted up as high and almighty, man was down here as creation, worshipping the creator. But when, when the devil said, you don't need to look to Christ. You don't even need to keep the Sabbath. If the Sabbath points man to God who is the Christ, the law giver, and the law is the standard which we are to live by and to be judged by, will man therefore be looking to himself as sinful in the sight of God's law or righteous? He'll look to himself as righteous, right? And even those, um, that's why the devil wants to remove the Sabbath. Because the Sabbath points to God's law in heaven, the standard which we are to be judged by, and the very law that Lucifer chucked aside. And so Revelation chapter 3 is the final passage. The reason why this message was entitled A Hard Reality is because this message applies to us as we close. Revelation 3, are we there? The Bible says, verse 14, And the angel of the church of the Laodiceans right? These things saith the Amen, the faithful, and the... True witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy what works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out. Verse 17, because you say, I am rich and increased with good, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire. That you may be rich, and white raiment, that you may be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eyesalve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, what? i rebuke and chasten, Brothers and sisters, the Bible makes it clear there that the state of Laodicea, the people of the judgment, they would be people living in such a state where they would not recognize their own spiritual condition. And one of the ways that God designed to bring our minds back to, uh, to realize and to be aware of that condition was to compare ourselves to Jesus Christ. To live in the sight of Christ day by day, second by second, having Christ who is the fulfillment of the law. What does the Bible say in Isaiah forty two twenty one, The Lord is well pleased for his sake, for he will magnify the law and make it honorable. So, when we look to Christ, when we understand this message of affliction of soul, of a hard reality, that yes, Lucifer began in heaven his rebellion. And Lucifer was a covering cherub, and covering, he was a defender or protector of God's law. And the law, according to Proverbs 6, is light, Lucifer being the light bearer was stood away from that law and because he no longer upheld God's law but said I will exalt my throne and my law he started walking not in light but in darkness. And when Lucifer did that, he decided, okay, I'm going to take my same tricks and pull it on planet earth. What did he do in Eden? Same thing. What has he caused man to do? To lose sight of God. People were saying, I don't need God. I don't need Sabbath. I don't need a creator. I don't need someone over me, under me. But as our brother said that last sermon, amen, we need God with me. And this is the message I want to finish off. John 1.21. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world and satan has caused the minds of many christians and the minds of many atheists and the minds of humanity with that spirit of pharisaism which is natural he has kept people's hearts away from jesus who is the measure of righteousness and so jesus who is our righteousness amen praise god that we have a savior a mediator one who is righteous and who can live in us his righteous life a hard reality this is a challenge I want to put out for, for, for this week, next week. Let's ask ourselves, how many times do we take to sit and examine our hearts? How many times do we, do we actually get on our knees and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, man. Or do we look at ourselves, oh, I'm so righteous. I know the devil has put that in my heart many, many times. And I want to make it a quick appeal. If you want to say to yourself, Lord, chief of sinners, though I may be, Jesus Christ has died for me. And I want to say the prayer search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, not try the person next to me. Try me, O Ryan Rod. Try me, Lewis, Try me. Try me, O Ryan. I don't want to compare myself to anybody else. I want to compare myself to Christ. And Christ, who is that measure is not only one that standard. He's the one by his grace and power that lifts us up to that standard. Amen? Amen. For the Bible declares in Isaiah 64, 6, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And so if you want to make that that decision today to say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, man, and just help me to behold wondrous things out of your law and to help me to look at myself and not compare myself to anybody else, but to take the time to compare my life to you, Jesus.
1: And so let's make the decision as we pray. Father in heaven, Lord, man, you're so merciful, Lord. And Father, truly it is a blessing. And it is truly an honor to even be called a servant of the Most High. And Father, this is not about eloquent words or anything like that. Lord, this is truly just about us asking you to take and make, do in us a work that we know that we cannot do ourselves. And so, Father, we just ask you that you might fulfill in us your promise. We you promised in Galatians 2.20 that if we are crucified to self, we are crucified with Christ, matter of fact. We might not live, and our human nature might not live, but Christ who is the divine nature, Christ who is, is our righteousness, might live in us his righteous life. So, Father, our simple prayers, Lord, take our lives, for we cannot give them. Take our hearts, for we cannot give them. Keep them pure, for we cannot keep them for Thee; Save us in spite of ourselves, our weak, unchristlike like selves. Mold us, fashion us, and raise us into a pure and holy atmosphere, where the rich current of that love can flow through our souls. Because, Father, we claim the promise of that says in your that is your the pen of inspiration says that nothing is apparently more helpless, yet really more invincible, than the soul that feels its nothingness and relies wholly on the merits of the Savior. Message was made available by The Preaching Place. For more resources like this, visit their YouTube page Preaching Place AUS. That was Give Me Jesus by Sounds Like Rain. Up next, Unfathomable from Carly Fletcher's album No More Goodbyes.
2: said no, and chose to suffer agony, for he looked beyond the cross and he saw me, unfathomable, how can we comprehend the depths of His? to rescue me, to live, to set me free. Such love, such love that reaches me. The first and the last He stands in victory The depths of his amazing, amazing love. To die to rescue me, to live to set me free, such love.
3: I'm Marilyn, the two-tip lady, who loves to help make your life more simple. Have you ever watched kids at a playground, whizzing down the slippery dips, swinging on the ropes, whooping and hollering while having fun? Have you ever felt just a bit jealous? Well, the other day, dear husband simply couldn't resist the urge to swing on the ropes and zoom down the slippery dip, hollering as he went. We often both wonder what it's going to be like when we really grow up. Is it when you're an esteemed science teacher? Is it when your hair's going grey? Is it when your eyesight's not so good? Is it when your knee hurts but you don't whinge about it? Is it when your kids are paddling their own canoes off in their own oceans? Is it when you have 10 grandkids? I don't know. I guess we'll know the answer one day, but meanwhile, we're going to keep acting like kids. Well, at least sometimes. So my two tips today are really simple. Here's the first. Do something fun today. Something you're going to feel a bit silly doing. Why? Because in Proverbs 17:22, we're told that a cheerful heart is good medicine. And most medicine has side effects you don't really want to think about. But this is all good medicine, so take it. Ready for tip number two? Here it is. Do something for someone else today. That would be marvellous complementary medicine and you'll feel so good. You'll want to put these two tips into practice every single day. What are they? Tip number one, do something fun today. Tip number two, do something for someone else today. Simple tips? Yes. But feeling good after you've done them is simply guaranteed. That's it from the two tip lady who loves to make your life more simple.
4: It's been a pleasure bringing you this program here on 3ABN Australia Radio.